Good morning. The, the faith are here this morning. I made a list of everybody that didn't come to church. <clears throat> I'll be asking them how their spiritual life is going. I'm just kidding. The truth is that um, this, this morning, today, we're doing something different, something that's not necessarily anything I've ever done before. And, and the fact that this church hasn't given me a hard time about it is, is, is a true sign that the Holy Spirit is working in our church. Um, who cancels worship service or moves it up early so we can go have a big feast? And yet what we read in the Bible is that when we think of the kingdom of heaven or heaven and eternity, it's like a big feast that will be flowing with food and what the Bible writers call wine. That for all of eternity we will spend time with each other. And what we're doing this morning by going to feed the homeless, our homeless brothers and sisters, um, isn't just giving them charity. It's not just giving them food and making them go down the line and say, you've had your fill, now go. But rather, we're going there as a people of God. We are going as the body of God, as the ambassadors of God, and we are going to these people who are marginalized, who may have marginalized themselves. Let's face it. They may have become addicted to some sort of substance or drug and has led them down a downward spiral, or now they find themselves on the street. That's, that's a very real possibility. There may be things that were outside of their control that led them to where they are. However they got there, that's not important to us. What is important to us is that as the body of Christ, we are to bring the gospel anywhere and everywhere that it is needed. And that as ambassadors of Christ and as the body of Christ, we go there to bring redemption and reconciliation. In essence, what we are doing is we are taking the Jesus that we speak about here every Sabbath, And we are taking it to them and sitting next to them and saying, this God that has saved us is also in the work of saving you. We put our our preaching into practice because if we don't, then it's in vain. And so this morning, I know you're here. Some of you are here early. I told you to wear jeans. I was going to, um, but I have to go to the prison afterwards and, and they don't let us wear jeans there. So I figured I had to dress like a pastor this morning. So as we get started, will you just bow your heads with me as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful um, that so many of our brothers and sisters are at this moment, Lord, setting up and preparing the great feast that we will have um, with our homeless brothers and sisters. And Lord, we know that you are preparing an even bigger feast for us one day. And so we just pray that right now that we would channel all of your love and your grace and your redemption onto our brothers and sisters this morning, that they would feel at least even for a moment like there is a glimpse of eternity. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, this morning we are continuing, continuing our worship, our our teaching series that we call Journey to Hope. You know, if we look all around us, there are signs of hopelessness. I mean, just what, two weeks ago, Hurricane Sandy came and, and devastated so much of New York and New Jersey. And I don't know, I mean, it seems like, um, like we kind of stopped hearing about it so much because there was a couple other things like an election happening in our country and, and that's always a pretty big thing as well. But there are people in our very own country just on the other side, just a couple thousand miles away who for many of them have lost everything. There is suffering. They, they look at their houses, maybe, that, maybe there's no more water in them, but maybe everything is destroyed. They look and they think, how will we ever get through this? You know, one of the ways, and I'm just taking a caveat here, you know, our conference is going to be sending a big, uh, as an 18-wheeler, big truck that they used to move us pastors 
from seminary back home, and we're actually filling up this truck with all sorts of scarves and sweaters and jackets and blankets. It's in the email if you need more information. Um, you can ask me, and, and if you bring them here tomorrow, I can take as much of it as I can um, to the conference tomorrow evening, and they're going to be sending out the truck on Monday morning. So there are ways that we can help. There's the sweater in the back of your closet that maybe was last year's or last season's, and it's kind of out of style, and you, or maybe you don't fit into it anymore. And those things can be used to kind of begin to establish hope in the lives of people who have lost everything. There is suffering. There is hopelessness. After the election, there is people who feel hopeless because of the guy who won. Don't worry, next time it'll be the other side. It's just the way it works, back and forth. Well, it's okay. God is ultimately in control of all things, and God provides us with hope. So politics can be fun for a while, and we follow, and it's fun, and it's up and down. But ultimately, our hope must be placed in Christ. We just happen to live here. So when we look at suffering that is all around us, I'm, I'm not going to talk this morning about the why of suffering. Why does, ha- why does suffering happen? Why do bad things happen to people? I'm not talking about that. What I want to be looking at this morning is that bad things do happen. The what? Difficulty, suffering, situation. It happens everywhere all around us. So I want to read to you a quote. It's not up on the, on the, on the screen this morning. I didn't put a PowerPoint together. But Oswald Chambers, in his, in his devotional, My Utmost for his highest. He says this in response to, you know, people when they're suffering, when they're going through something difficult, and they have these questions like, you know, when is this ever going to end? How many of you have ever been through a really tough situation, and it just seems like every morning you wake up, that situation is still there, and you're hoping that somehow, some way, you're just going to wake up, and oh, it was just a dream. But when you wake up, and you realize that things are still the way they are, and you're still suffering, and there's still trial, there's still tribulation, there's still illness, there's still this, this smell of decay and death. We kind of look to God and say, when, when are you going to do something? Because this is becoming very unbearable. So Oswald Chambers, he writes this. He says, during this time, have you been asking God what he is going to do? He will never tell. God does not tell you what he is going to do. He simply reveals to you who he is. You see, so much of our lives revolve around ourselves. Your life quite literally revolves around you, what you like, what you don't, what you hate, what you love, the things that bother you and the things you can get past. Everything in your life revolves around you. Now, you may say, well, no, I take care of my kids, or I take care of this, or I do that. But all of us know that ultimately, at the end of the day, our lives revolve around us. So when, it, yeah, so when it comes to our relationship with God, sometimes we're just like, okay, God, what are you going to do? When are you going to do it? When are you going to help me get through this? Can you just take this feeling away? Now, God doesn't answer my prayers the way I want him to all the time. Oftentimes, God's just like, really? This thing is what's bothering you? Now, granted, some of the suffering we face is huge and much bigger proportion, but I think a lot of the times that we focus on these, these issues in our lives are usually smaller. And sometimes what we have to do is step back from there. Because the truth is, is that we live in a world where suffering is aplenty and it's everywhere. And we, are, and we as Christians, you know, that's what we're doing this morning. We're trying to alleviate some of the suffering of our homeless brothers and sisters. We are trying to do the very best we can to do the best for as many people as possible. But suffering will always be here. 
And so we need to take a step back and realize this is just the way the world is right now. This is just the way things are. There is suffering, there is pain, there is tears, there is sickness, there is disease. It's unfortunate. We hate it. No one likes suffering. But if we take a step back, we realize that we are just a small part of a bigger story. We are just a tiny part of a bigger story of God. And if we can take, back, take a step back and look, not so much at the situation or the solution that you want God to do to get you out of this, but rather if you focus on who God is, our hope is derived on God. See, sometimes when we're facing these trials and tribulations, our hope is, oh, one day I'm going to get out of this. But that's misplaced hope. Our hope must always be in God is ultimately in control of all things. God may not have placed you here, but God is ultimately in control, and God will ultimately lead you and get you out of those situations. Even if the only hope you have is at the day of the resurrection. Because I know that there are some of you who have faced illness and who have lost people, and there has been all sorts of pain and grief. Some of you may still be grieving the loss and the pain that you feel with losing somebody you love. And sometimes the very best hope we have is the day of the resurrection. But that's a reminder that death does not have the final word. And if death doesn't have the final word, then the fact that your bank account is a negative right now does not have the final word. The fact that you might be upside down on your mortgage does not have the final word. The fact that your car keeps breaking down does not have the final word. The fact that your marriage seems like it's always hanging on by a thread does not have a final word. Nothing in this world has a final word because we believe in a God who has conquered death. When we take a step back from your situations, if you were reminded that God conquers death, then the thing that you are going through is extremely bearable. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard Version this morning, so it might be a little different than the one you have in the pew. But I want to look who God is to see if we can trust God. I want to take a look at, what, at who God is to see if we can trust to put our hope in Him. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. And Paul writes, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation, who consoles us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the same consolation which we ourselves are consoled by God with. So we, so what does the Bible say? Blessed is God, awesome is God. They are, this is words of praise. God, you are awesome because you are the God who consoles us in all of our affliction. Now, the Greek word for the word all there is pas, P-A-S, I guess if we were to transliterate it, and it simply means all, all, everything. Everything you're going through, no matter what it is, no matter where you have lost all hope, no matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter how heavy and difficult life is, what the Bible writers teach us here is that no matter what you're going through, the God of all consolation will comfort and He will console you. Now let me give you a bit of background information because you might be saying, yeah, but these are Bible writers. They were holy. They were almost saint-like. These guys, I mean... These are the heroes of our faith. Come on, what do they know about what I'm going through right now? 
you know, Paul wasn't even married. How does he even know how to tell me this when he's never been married and I am and he's, my husband is just horrible, right? God, Paul doesn't know. He, see, this is the problem with Christians. They don't know what they're saying. Let me ask you this. When was the last time that you were literally going from town to town fearing that people were going to kill you? When was the last time that happened? It happens to pastors from church to church. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I loved my last two churches. They loved me back. It was just time to, it's time to get married and move here. <laughs> but when was the last time that somebody was chasing you, trying to kill you? Probably hasn't happened to very much of us, right? I was mugged one time, but I didn't think I was going to die. I wish I had my tennis racket to defend myself, but I didn't think I was going to die. See, so but what we find here is that these disciples, that Paul, Paul was pushed off of a cliff one time and survived, okay? They tried to literally push him off a cliff and kill him, and he still survived. Paul was lowered from the wall of Jerusalem, or I forget what city it was, on a basket because he was trying to run away from the Roman soldiers who were trying to capture him. Paul was continuously on the run. Paul was imprisoned and in chains. I mean, Paul, I mean, if you think about it, it was not glamorous, Paul didn't have a big mega church, all right? Paul did not have a nice office or drive a nice, I guess, camel or horse or mule or whatever they had. Paul didn't have riches. Paul had to earn a living on the side. Paul had to, had to, had to um, rely on people's gifts and charities, their offerings. Paul had nothing. Paul was literally running for his life. And in the process of this, he says, listen, I know what I'm talking about. I've been through all of this horrible heaviness, almost literally fearing for my life. He says, and yet in the midst of all of that, I find my consolation, I find my comfort, and I find my hope in God. But it's not just, it doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, okay, God is going to console me and comfort me because I'm facing this difficulty. He goes a step further and he says, God comforts and consoles you so that you can comfort and console someone else. You see, our life revolves around us so much that we think, okay, God, just console me and help me and help me get through this. And then that's it. And then we get through it. And then it's like, whew, okay, I'm so glad things are good. Things are good right now. Everything is great. And then we forget that God helped us through this. And, oh, you know, God, I was busy today and I couldn't read my Bible and I couldn't pray to you very well. You know what? Saturday mornings, it's the only day I can sleep in. Sorry, God, I can't go to church. We begin to sometimes forget that God was there. And then the moment something else happens, boom, we're right back trying to pray to God. And God's like, so you only want me when you're in trouble. That's not a fun or fair relationship. But God does not withhold from us because it says that he is a God who consoles us in all and every situation. So Paul, a man who feared for his life, a man who literally struggled and wrestled. He literally was forsaken by all of his friends when he decided to follow Jesus, okay? This is a guy who knows what it's like to have everything and a guy who gives everything up, riches and fame. And, you know, he was a Pharisee, right? He gives all of that up to follow Jesus. And in the process, he loses everything. Not only that, people are trying to kill him. Paul would ultimately die because he was spreading the gospel. He ultimately dies. If we look at John, at First John chapter 4, you don't have to go there, but this verse. But the verse tells us that God is love. 
And if God is love, by God's very nature, is that He will do all that God can to help you through every circumstance and every situation you're in. Now, as parents, we look at our kids, and sometimes, um, and, 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 I, and I don't know how, much, how well this translates into God and how He treats us as His children, but this is the best analogy we have. There are times when I see my kids, and there's something I disagree with, right? Like, for instance, one of my sons, he, he woke up late a few weeks ago, and um, he, he wasn't feeling good, you know? <laughs> and so before, my stance was like, all right, get up, let's go, we got to go, you can't be late, you, gotta, you know? But that doesn't work. So I've, I've done the opposite, I'm loving and kind, and so, okay, you feel sick, okay. And it was basketball tryout that day, I said, okay, so I, you know, I took the, my other son to school, I came back, I made breakfast for myself, he was still not feeling well. So I go up, and, and he's just kind of sitting there. I'm like, he's like, oh, I don't, I don't really feel good. I said, okay. See, I know that if, he, if he's late enough times, his grade begins to suffer. And right now, he's all about, oh, I have this really great GPA. You know, he's doing really well in school. Everything's, but, but, but he misses a little bit. Like, he gets there a little late. And I'm like, I could, I could literally force him out of the house and get him there on time. But that's me doing it. I don't mind if he gets a couple too many tardies and starts getting detentions because that will really teach him. <laughs> so he finally, he, 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 you know, he, he comes to me and he says, will you, ta- will you take me to school? I've worked too hard to get this far. I don't, I don't want I don't, I don't to you know, give up everything I've worked for. And so then we get a call. Your son missed you know, one or two periods, blah, 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 all the stuff that schools do. But in the process, he begins to realize, like, whoa, there's all sorts of consequences now. Um, at this new school that he's going to, if he's late, if he's tardy, if he misses, they start docking all sorts of points. And so he's just like, what's that all about? I'm like, that's real life, dude. There's another part, the same son, he just made the basketball team. So he ended up going, he made the basketball team, and he's not the best. He's not the best guy. He's my height, but he's really thin, um, and he's actually pretty good. I take him to the gym, we go almost every night, and we go and we play, and we try to get him better. But he's not the best, but he's still pretty good. And so now that practice has started, yesterday he gets into my car, he slams the car door, he's upset, he's angry. And I'm like, and I've learned just, okay, just don't say anything because I always want to talk. And he doesn't always. And so he finally says, this coach makes me so mad, I want to quit. I'm like, dude, this is like the second day of practice. He's like, the coach is paying more attention to these three guys. And I was like, well, are they the best? He's like, well, yeah, they're the best on the team. I said, okay, so he, maybe he's building the team around these three guys. Well, yeah. So, but I still want to quit. He makes me so mad. I said, how about you just work hard and earn that spot? And he just sits there and he hates hearing that. But my love as a parent is that I want to teach him the way the world is and the way we should be in the world. And sometimes you're not always going to be the best. You're not always going to be liked by everybody. I said, but you have to go out there and you have to honor God by giving your very best, even if you ride the bench the entire season. And he didn't like hearing that. See, the truth is, Suffering comes in all sorts of ways. But as a parent, as God is our heavenly parent who is love, I think sometimes he looks at the choices that you are about to make and he's just like this, you're going down the wrong road and I could intervene, but you're not going to learn your lesson, so I'm going to let you make this decision. And then we are the ones who bear the consequences of these decisions, decisions that we make living outside of the way God wants things to be. God is a God of love who gives you freedom and says, I am here for you always. 
but it's up to you to come to me because I will not force myself on you. Now, what we find is that, wow, I'm, just, I'm talking a long way and I have a few more texts to get through, so let's, let's get going. Let me get going. So what we find is that God is the God of all comfort and God is the God of love who will always be love to you and will always do everything he can to give you the very best life possible. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 12, the wisest man Solomon says, I know that there is nothing better for you than to be happy and enjoy yourself as long as you live. That's not something we hear from church all the time, right? No, we're not supposed to enjoy anything. Everything should be bad. Sabbath, bad. Don't do any pleasure, <laughs> you know? And yet what we find here is that Solomon, he says, there is nothing better than to enjoy the life that you have been given. At creation, out of darkness and chaos, God creates beauty and order. And so whatever trial or suffering or tribulation or difficulty or heaviness that you might be through, remember that before there was anything, the Bible describes it that God hovered over the, the face of the deep, the darkness, and out of that God creates beauty and perfection. So the God who begins creation and looks at every day and sees that everything that God makes is good, and then God steps back after all of creation and he says, wow, this is very good, this very God... And Jesus prays for his believers and says, God, Father, my prayer is not that you take these guys and women out of this earth, but that you protect them. So this is home for now. God is praying a prayer of protection over you for you to be able to live to the fullest of God's purposes for you in this life. God looks at everything. He says it's good. He says it's very good. He says enjoy. And then, if that's not enough, as when life gets difficult and ugly and gross and painful and suffering, as we are aware of, there's a promise in the book of Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, most of you have it memorized. Most of you know it. And it's the passage that I think that as, as Seventh-day Adventists, we need to point to people as the, as the reason for our hope. Revelation 21, verse 3 says, John writes, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He, God, will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them. And He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. In the midst of your pain and suffering, of your tears, of mourning, of death, of decay, of disease, of heartbreaks, of sadness, he who sits on the throne says, I am making all things new. And it won't always be like this. And this isn't the way things were supposed to be. But I'm praying a prayer of protection over you. Because one day, everything will be completely new. And how things are now won't be. I am making all things new. When Jesus, um, I'm going to finish with this next passage. Um, in, in Matthew, let me, let me just read it to you. Matthew 27. 
just to show you that, that Jesus knows what it, look, what it means and how it feels to suffer. In Matthew 27, verse 27, the story where Jesus is about to be crucified, it's moments before that. Verse 27 says this, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarter, and they gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him, Jesus, and put a scarlet robe on him, the color of royalty. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand, knelt before him, and mocked him, saying, <coughs> Excuse me. Hail the king of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and they struck him on the head. After mocking him, they stripped him of the robe, put him in his own clothes, then they led him away to be crucified. Does Jesus know what it feels like to suffer and be mocked and ridiculed? I've never been spat on. I've never been hit on the head with a reed. I've never been whipped. I've never been any of these things. And yet, in the midst of Jesus, he could have just turned around and just kind of cheated a little and just kind of like made a little force field around him or maybe he could have made his body go numb or whatever, any of the tricks that I would have thought of doing. Jesus could have done any one of those things and the one thing, the response in Luke, in Luke 24, 27, I can't remember what it was. Luke 23, 35. In the midst of all of this, the only thing that Jesus says is this, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Jesus' only response in the midst of this pain and suffering, difficulty, trials, horrendous acts, the only thing that Jesus says is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The scripture reads. The scripture reading for this morning, Romans 5, said this, that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, or it does not disappoint us, because God has poured into our, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We rejoice in our sufferings because through it, it's not that God is doing it to you, but through it, God can use any and every circumstance in your life to continue to create and make you into the person that God is needing you to be as part of being a representative of his love and mercy to this world. And so I'll end with this one little line, if this is all you remember, is that in the midst of all your suffering, of the pain and the devastation in your life, You can either become bitter or you can become better. The choice is ultimately where you put your hope, in your own strength or in God's strength. Amen.